0: This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news feed for the week of October 11th. Nick, did I just say October? I can't believe it. It's October. It's this here. Is October. It came quickly. That's your first news item. It like it's firmly October. We're in the middle of October, and we've got some news for you. So, Nick, why don't we just kick it from the top?
1: Sure, I'll take it from the top. Our first story is about nonprofits on the front lines of the Afghan resettlement effort they need more support um, so we've been tracking this story for a while right if we remember the u.s uh, disengaging from Afghanistan pulling out of the troops and then the nonprofit and activists scramble essentially to help people get out alongside the US government well now of course comes the hard part of the literally resettling the thousands of Afghans who have been brought to America and are going to attempt to make this place their home. So these nonprofits say that they've been working overtime to help these people, many of whom came to the States without any possessions at all. Um, These nonprofits say that they need more financial support to get the job done, essentially. Um, uh, This article does a great job of going into exactly kind of uh, uh, the, the scale of the problem. It turns out that most of the Afghan refugees who were admitted, many of whom are still currently residing on US military Bases, um, they were admitted through a process called humanitarian parole, which means they're not necessarily given the same benefits that a typical um, asylum seeker or humanitarian asylum seeker might get. So they came, they come to America with almost no federal assistance and a one-time stipend of twelve hundred dollars. So if you can imagine coming to America from Afghanistan with. One thousand two hundred dollars to make it work. It ain't gonna work without help, right? So that's where these nonprofits come in. And essentially, this article just goes into they need more resources. This is an all hands on all hands on deck effort. Um, and yeah, just calling for for philanthropic support, more federal support. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, George. We talk a lot about the lifetime value of news cycle stories, and this is exactly it right? We saw the, you know, peak interest in what was happening in Afghanistan. Uh, but the people are all getting here now. They're here now. This is the time to help. This is this is our, our moment to step up. And uh, yeah, we need to do more.
0: Yeah. And just to put a finer point on the, the news interest and in cycle, we'll make this point as many times as it needs to be made. But look at Google trends for Afghanistan and you're going to see a huge spike. Amazing. It seemed like it was everywhere. It felt like it would never leave the zeitgeist, the news cycle. You take a look right now, and it literally dropped off a cliff after two weeks. By cliff, I mean, it has an index of 100, um, which means it's its highest peak. Its peak point hits in the week of uh, August 21st to there. And by... September twenty fifth, it's down to its previous low, of an index of four, a hundred down to four. And to Nick's point, it's now in the the building phase, in the post disaster phase, where the support is needed. So you know we like seeing the the work is being done, but um, it's a it's a reminder to anybody responding to a disaster as though you needed it to, to doing that work is that now you have to work into uh, not being able to capitalize on general search and interest, but now you have to tell that story uh, all the more uh, of that work being done. To your point, you know, twelve hundred dollars and welcome to America is not getting you uh, is not getting you very far. And again, nonprofits do the work and do the work regardless of the money. They do the work because the need is there. And frankly, it's why I love this sector and hope to shine as much light on uh, the continued work of giving a, giving a home to refugees who, um, who were effectively displaced.
1: Absolutely. Well said. And in many ways, a perfect segue into our next story, um, talking about refugees and, and resettlement in a way um, the, this article we wanted to highlight, it's not a news article specifically, but we think it's an important perspective that's worthwhile to highlight on this podcast. So uh, the story we talked here is about an article from Nonprofit Quarterly that talks about the Land Back Movement, um, which is a movement to bring reparations to indigenous communities um, to the forefront of national conversations. So, of course, this week was... Uh, Some states celebrate Columbus Day. Um, Here at Whole Whale, we acknowledge it as Indigenous Peoples Day. But um, in any event, we wanted to talk about this idea that I think you'll see increasing calls for within the philanthropic space of addressing utterly grotesque and enormous damage to indigenous communities throughout the United States history and I think in many ways a failure to adequately address or even acknowledge that that violent history. Um, so this movement, which is in many ways a grassroots movement, um, akin to say maybe Black Lives Matter, is pretty decentralized, um, but it provides a specific framework for providing reparations to indigenous peoples, chief among them um, acknowledging that land was stolen and the returning of land. Um, And this article is really interesting because it calls on the philanthropic community to respond in meaningful ways. And I don't have the answers. Uh, These are hard, complicated questions, but I think that increasingly organizations have a responsibility to to think critically about these problems, and an activity that we recommend actually is uh, linked out within the news articles well is an interactive map where you can type in your address and you can see the tribal land upon which your address building office home resides um, I think in many ways we we tend to push push indigenous history as something that's in the past and behind us when it's it's continually ongoing, right? And I think that this, uh, these conversations are only going to become more frequent um, as they should within the nonprofit philanthropic space. So, just kind of an interesting thread and perspective as we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day this week.
0: Yeah, certainly, and you know, Indigenous Peoples Day uh, declared in 1992 uh, in in the U.S. over, obviously, Columbus Day. However, that said. Uh, Going back to my friend, Google Trends, it's uh, when you compare uh, Indigenous Peoples Day with Columbus Day searches, right? And I'm using Google Trends as a proxy for public awareness, adoption, and usage. And it's actually a fair point here because when you look for that information, you type it into Google, and it's at a rate of roughly what seems to be 10 to 1 and it's 10 to one in terms of people using Columbus day versus indigenous people's day. So it's an interesting reminder to the, the filter bubbles that maybe uh, you the listener travel in and where you hear it versus what is actually used in the broader spectrum. I like coming back to that as a, a a much more of a social bellwether and understanding where, where we are. I liked this article. um, I like this movement too, because of actually the, the, clarity of it where they have these four points that they're looking for um, with regard to the, the demands that outline number one return all public lands back to indigenous hands uh, dismantles structures that forcibly remove us from our lands and continue to keep people suppressed defund white supremacy and mechanisms and systems enforce it and then move to an era of consultation in a new era of policy around free prior and informed consent um, and then there's also notes about you know um, how military border patrol and ICE agents also uh, deal with affected populations um, and, in the community. So, you know, it's good to start with those demands. It's good to have that clarity and interesting to watch the movement though. I imagine the ability to garner support, attention, and, and momentum uh, it, it takes a larger moment. I think the annual holiday is one, one point, but uh, it will it will take i think uh, a larger, i don't know, a larger rallying moment uh, to to get major progress on this. Um, but it's an interesting tool. we encourage you to check it out in, in honor of Indigenous people's Day.
1: Absolutely. Another interesting point, I just wanted to point out about this. So this, is the article actually referenced a framework from the United Nations for the rights of indigenous people. And I think that a lot of other countries are um, in some ways leading the way on having these conversations with Uh, indigenous populations. In Canada, this is something that's often in the news um, and in various ways um, in places like New Zealand, which also have really um, a high indigenous population. So I think there's a place for um, our countries as well as maybe our organizations to actually look abroad for how these conversations are happening.
0: This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year, last two years, a decade ago, the inclusivity tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. Inclusivitytool.com. Again, that's tool.
1: And now back to our show. All right, George, is it time for the summary, our, our brief news rundown? Here we go. Summary time. All right. So this one is from Crane Chicago Business, chicagobusiness.com. And this uh, is an announcement of the notable nonprofit board leaders in the Chicago area. And I'm not going to sit here and read the names of <laughs> many of these board people, but uh, we just wanna acknowledge here, of course, that nonprofits uh, nonprofit boards go a long way to, to shaping and, and helping and aiding these organizations and have the ability to coalesce expertise and uh, contributions that are uh, vital often to an organization's success. So I'll let you add your, your context as well.
0: I think this is uh, important to note here that the honorees coming, this is uh, Crane's 2021 notable nonprofit board leaders. Uh, Clearly, you know, look, publications put together lists because people share lists, people like being on lists, and it's a way of getting readership and engagement. And frankly, celebrating uh, nonprofit leaders that are helping uh, these great organizations in the methodology. They do note that nobody was uh, paid to be included always a an important note think about though um, how you could use your local press your local papers outlets and publications to highlight to create lists that i don't know maybe include elements of your nonprofit your nonprofit leaders your funders your donors right your board members um, there's a, there, i think there's a, a great tactic underlying this too um uh, just to, to call it out to, to celebrate uh the people that are helping your organization and also lift your organization as well
1: Absolutely. I can take us to our next story. And this is from PRnewswire.com. And the story is that Binance Charity has launched an NFT tree planting project called Tree Millions, uh, which seeks to plant 10 million trees worldwide. And this is the first ever blockchain-enabled uh donation platform which is finance charity and that they're leading this uh quote-unquote ambitious nft tree planting project 10 million that's that's a lot of trees that's a lot of trees i like this
0: look i i continue to push and look for these types of things and uh, whatever you may think about binance or not think about binance whatsoever it's it's really great cuz i continue to see charitable initiatives being interwoven into the communities on various platforms coins nfts which are non-fungible tokens i actually have a pretty good looking site here if i'm if i'm being honest and looking at it and you get these like funny little trees that <laughs> are like little blocky pixelated rotating um Uh, You know, I might get one, I might not. I want you to look at this, though. And I want you to see that there are a lot of interesting dynamics. One is the the donor actually gets something tangible. They'll be able to track who has those trees in their wallets, be able to communicate with them digitally in the sense that uh, they know those wallets care about this cause, potentially. Uh, The narrative of each of those trees, right, the tree millions and this collective work uh, will be attached to that NFT that sits in somebody's wallet uh, in exchange for donating. There's a lot of great dynamics uh, that that can be used not just by the trees, but by potentially your organization uh, and connecting donors to the cause and then a little leave behind, a little thank you. And by the way, come on, it's a JPEG. It didn't cost you that much to create it. Think just for a second, like, oh, you know, we send out our thank you mailer. Like for less than that, you can generate one of uh, these types of thank you for donating NFTs, or or bring that into uh, bring that into bear. Food for thought. Food for thought. This is not financial advice, by the way. We're not financial advisors. <laughs> disclaimer.
1: Important disclaimer. I I appreciate that food for thought. I'm going to chew on that one for a little bit as we move to our next article. Um, which is an article that's written in <laughs> legally, you threw me a curveball this one, George. But from what I can understand, there has been a bill passed in California, that is now law, which changes how nonprofit boards, as well as for profit companies are allowed to operate when it comes to decision making during emergencies. Um, and I guess the takeaway here is that it's important to to pay attention to these seemingly mundane laws because they can actually quite alter, um, how you might respond in difficult situations. I imagine during a natural disaster or some other kind of, um, emergency situation, uh, you know, board governance and leadership and, and all those, uh, important questions are important to have answered before you arrive at such emergency. So just want to throw this out there and now I'll throw it back to you.
0: (laughs) I I think the, the takeaway for me on this one, why I wanted to call it out is that when they're going through a lot of the bylaws for operating nonprofits, many of them talk about needing to be in the same physical location, not allowing digital proxy voting communications that are now, uh, you know, essentially part of our our day to day working. Of like, all right, we're gonna have our board meeting on Zoom. We're gonna have a vote via, you know, in abstention. Uh, that needs to be, you know, sorted out in your bylaws and other other pieces as well, because. Frankly, like you may have just been running for the entire year assuming that you were fine. And then you look in your bylaws and there's a little word called uh gotta be a physical vote or have to have those elements. So interesting to see this happening at the state level. That's all. My wonky, my wonky nonprofit board board member hat on and off now.
1: I appreciate that. Uh riveting from nonprofitlawblog.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, well written, well researched article. Uh, our last uh, story for the day is just a small, almost note, I guess, that um, the town of Greenwich, a nonprofit there called the Ableist Therapy Center, is hosting a job fair to fill almost 70 openings. And I think, you know, a job fair has happened. That's not news. But what might be news is that a local nonprofit has. 70 openings. I know you have some thoughts on that George and maybe just, you know, maybe uh, you know, extrapolate that into a bigger narrative.
0: Yeah. So I think I like paying attention to these smaller stories that may be indicative of larger trends. The larger trend being there are roughly depending on how you calculate unemployed and the way we calculate it 1.4-ish jobs per unemployed person in in the country. And that extends disproportionately to certain sectors, services, types of work, one of which I think potentially may be coming in the form of nonprofit jobs and especially things that are working uh, direct on the ground, require direct contact, honestly, certain levels of COVID risk that might be associated with it. You begin to also extend this to thinking about is there going to be shortages around uh, AmeriCorps volunteers, people that are working in that system. People that are working for uh, the elderly and adjacent to nonprofits types of work, boys and girls clubs, you begin to see very quickly. Like, wait a minute, if there's a school bus driver shortage, like, what about the people working and volunteering at the local community center or working and filling these jobs that are um, working with at-risk populations, but in and that themselves are at COVID potential risk uh, as this pandemic is not over. So where am I going with this? If you're planning to hire in an upcoming season, I'd say get a jump on it earlier than you were already starting to, because I wouldn't be surprised to see more stories like this.
1: Absolutely. That's a good perspective. Shall we do a feel good story, George? I think we owe it
0: owe it to the crowd. I mean, I think
1: there's probably two people still listening after we really had that
0: riveting moment with the nonprofit law blog, Bob blah blog. Um, so why don't we <laughs> <laughs> why don't we I'll tell them something really good for the two of you left? Thank you. Your dedication shall be rewarded right now.
1: It shall be. This one's a real treat. And speaking of treats, it's about donuts. So this comes from Sandusky, Ohio. And a nonprofit there called Ability Works, which is an organization that supports folks with disability, um, has run a donut-eating contest which challenged professional and amateur eaters to eat as many donuts as they could in eight minutes. And the winner... George, 69 donuts. <laughs> 69 donuts. Oh my God. How do you do that? That's I that, I mean, they're giving Joey Chestnut a run for their money. How is that possible? Um yeah, but great donuts for a great cause. And uh, yeah, I can do I can do one donut. That's 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 one too many donuts for me. But I, I love the story. Creative ways to fundraise, right?
0: Yeah, look. You have everything. You're checking a lot of boxes for me. Um, Eating contests, donuts, alliterations like dough for donuts. Like, come on. Um, It's doing it for me. It made me feel good that somebody was able to eat 69 dough donuts and then immediately very concerned for their health. So if you do choose an eating contest, choose something maybe, uh, maybe healthier. Yes.
1: Maybe like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> apples or something. I'm going to go, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, Keep I'm going to give away, away some
0: free ones here. Here, Like you can do, uh, pe- peppers for pennies, although you may need more than pennies. Uh, what else could you do? Um, I mean, pancakes for Parkinson's is not an eating competition, but it's something run by the Michael J. Fox foundation. Uh, that was started by the community. I mean, you can't beat actually the, the Michael J. Fox foundation's, uh, team Fox program for alliterative fundraising programs. Um, They they really, I think, take the cake and eat it too. Literally. Literally. All righty. We hope some of this, most of this was helpful. Thanks, as always. You can get the email every week with links at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. Nonprofitnewsfeed.com, the uh, best news from the best sector. Best hosts. Pretty good hosts. Thanks, Nick.
1: Thanks, George.